In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If you're familiar with the book of Philippians, this is a little bit stranger section in the book of Philippians. So the whole book itself is filled with joy. So that's kind of the point of the book of Philippians. It's joy, 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 joy. And he's written to mostly retired soldiers who now live in the, uh, the area of Philippi. And he, so there's no Old Testament quotes in the whole book. Instead, he's trying to say Jesus is very important. and You should be able to find your joy and your contentment. Maybe he's saying contentment to these soldiers who had all this thrill in their life, and now it's kind of like whittled down to not all that much stuff going on. And he's like, you should still be content. So the section we're going to look at is a little bit strange because of all this talk of joy, and we're going to just jump into that, and then we're going to talk about loss. Uh, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So again, we have rejoice. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. So he, so he must have talked to them about this like um, in, while he was there. He must have had some conversation. Maybe there's a different letter. And he, so he's coming right back to the same topic. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers. It's kind of intense, isn't it? You don't hear a lot of times where the Apostle Paul is really fired up and saying you've got to avoid something. What would, what would have to happen in your life for you to say, watch out for that dog. And this isn't like a pet dog, like a Shih Tzu or something like that. This is like, they didn't have pets really back then. They would have had dogs that would have just kind of ranged the streets and then they would have eaten from the garbage and they've kind of been a nuisance. If you've ever been to like the reservation in the Apache reservation, for example, there's wild dogs all over the place. And you don't go pet those dogs. You don't go hang out with those dogs. Instead, there's even, they taught us, that's one Indian word they taught us, I can't remember it, to say this word, then they know that like means run. If you say that word, they take off because I think people throw things at these dogs to get them kind of out of their life. That's the kind of dogs we're talking about, not like healthy dogs you want to snuggle with. So what would prompt you to say, I want you to watch out for someone who is an actual, like, animal? That person is an animal. So let's talk about loss. Uh, loss is a strange thing because the thing that you actually lose is not necessarily the item that makes you this, so sad. And so a real obvious example is when uh, maybe your parents, they had to take away their driver's license. Is it really the fact that they can't drive a car anymore? Most of us don't even like to drive a car. I mean, if, if I don't have to drive a car for the rest of my life and they have auto, I'm fine with that. That's not a huge thing for me. But what is it that's taken away that is so sad? It's the fact that they can't have the freedom to go places. Uh, the same thing is true if you get injured. The injury itself is not, I hurt my elbow, I have tendonitis. I, that just means I can't do the thing I really like to do. So when we're talking about loss, it's something that's taken from you. So what would prompt the Apostle Paul to be so fired up that he would say that watch out for those people that are like a dog. Well, I don't know if it's something physical that they would take. So here's a couple items that have lost relatively recently. So if anyone, if your husband has a blue Eddie Bauer scent blue jacket that mysteriously he wears every day of the week except Sunday, it could be mine. So this is disappointing, not because of the jacket itself. That's maybe $100 or something like that. I got a replacement that I actually like better. It's warmer. But the problem is this was my friendly jacket. I told the kids this. I'm like, this jacket is super friendly. People will sit next to me, they'll ask me directions, they'll, they'll talk to me. I wore my normal jacket, I just went on the plane, and the last place in the whole entire plane I was on the, the aisle seat was to sit next to me. Like, I don't know if I'm like creepy looking or if I have a scowl or the last place on the entire plane. There's like two guys that are like 300 pounds and people are like squeezing between them. I'm like, really? What about me here? Not that I, you know, I wasn't that sad, but... The blue jacket, why am I actually upset? I'm upset because 
part of it is like, what happened to my brain that I can't remember where this jacket went? It was like a year and a half ago. I literally have no idea where this jacket went. Other items, this is uh, a model. I've told you this story before. This is not the exact model. This one's like $20,000. But this was uh, the Jeep Wagoneer I had. This is the exact model, not as nice, that I had. So I had a 1987 Jeep Wagoneer. This was my first vehicle that I purchased, and I was really excited about this. It was uh, $4,000 at the time. So this is like in the 90s, and I saved up like, uh, I was really excited about this vehicle. And uh, we parked it in the garage across the street because I was taking a different car to school. And my mom called me, and if you know the story, my mom called, and I'm talking to her, and she's like, hey, wait, something's happening to your car. I'm like, what do you mean happening? It's in a garage. Like, what? So she didn't call me back. Then the next evidence I got of it is she sent an email with a picture of my Wagoneer like this, completely torched. It spontaneously combusted, and I showed Pastor Spiegelberg the picture for sympathy, and you know Pastor Spiegelberg, one of my good friends, and he cried with laughter. So that's the, that's the support that we got while we were in college. What apparently had happened in a mouse or something like that had chewed a wire or it just was kind of frayed and got hot over time and literally my car spontaneously combusted and that was the loss of that. So we'll talk about is every loss on the same scale? I've got a couple more examples. The ice cream scooper. Have you ever lost an ice cream scooper? Now this fits in the item that would be super annoying to lose mostly because it's not that it's like $6 for an ice cream scooper. Is that a big deal? But how many of you want to buy more than one ice cream scooper in your lifetime? Is there anybody here that's like, you know what? We could use a new ice cream scooper. Like, there is no one who wants to spend that. So as I would lay out the $6, it would be as painful as a $4,000 car to me because I have no interest to buy a stupid ice cream scooper again. So I would probably search top to bottom, not because I love the ice cream scooper, just because I just don't want to burn money on something I have no interest to buy. This is a product called the Tile. Does anyone use this? Um, so this is a Tile, so you can't, I've showed, demonstrated it with the kids before. And this is so that you don't lose your car keys. That's the idea. So is the big deal really losing your car key? What is it preventing? What is tile preventing you? Two things, I think. One is frustration, and the other is that you don't feel stupid. Because how does it feel to go to your spouse and say, hey, I lost my car keys again? Not awesome. So you would willing to pay $25 or something like this so that you have something and you never lose it again. So there's kind of a spectrum. It's almost like the pain chart. <laughs> From mild no pain all the way to the worst pain possible, that's it, it, not always directly related because some things you lose and you don't mind. Obviously, like pounds, you don't mind if you lose pounds. But what happens, like my car, uh, my jacket I really like, so that would be on the pain category. But it wasn't that expensive, so it would be more like the moderate pain. I lose a car that's really expensive, so you'd think it would go to the severe category. But at the same time, it was really an expensive car to run. Like it got eight miles per gallon. And so when it burned, I'm like, that's maybe not the worst thing in the world because I, I don't think I had the heart to actually sell my car that I really liked and I saved up for, but the Lord took it away from me and now then I drove an old Volvo that had a hole in the floor. So that, see, the Lord provides in all cases. So on this scale of things, when you're talking about physical things, it's not necessarily the thing itself. Sometimes it's the emotion that goes with it. You have to admit to someone you lost it. You have frustration because you, you think your brain is going bad, so that's frustration. Sometimes it's the money. Are there things that are taken away that are a lot more serious? I think so, right? And I think if you talk, start, we, people in our congregation, uh, Becca right now is not in town because her grandmother died, so she's gone. And other people have lost a father, other people have lost, um, I know in this congregation have lost kids. 
To lose someone like that, what is the real loss? Lindsay Bond, for example, is talking about her grandfather. What is the real loss? Is it just that the person's not there anymore? I think it depends, right? If someone would take my kids away or my kids would be lost, I think it would be the memories that I would anticipate that I could have with my kids forever. Or if my wife died um, early, I think it'd be hard because of the memories that would be coming that you think about retirement, right? How many times have you gone through this head? What is retirement going to be like? And now that's not going to be a reality. A friend of ours who I went back to Seattle to do that funeral, he's called me probably, he doesn't have internet, so I know he's not going to listen to this. So Chuck, um, Chuck's called me at least three times, about once a month, just to say how hard it is. He's so, and, and I wouldn't say they had the most, you know, like this super perfect relationship, but he just realized how empty his life is when he's so relied to be with someone else. But if I was going to give a warning to my kids to watch out for those dogs, those animals, am I mostly worried about someone who's literally going to abduct them? No. If you would give this warning, what, watch out for that guy. That guy's an animal. What, what activity elicits that kind of emotion? And to me, it's someone who can take something that can't easily be replaced. And I'm not talking like a wedding ring or something like that. And I, I see the movement. When I say there, there's someone I don't trust because they're going to take something I really love, um, like the Me Too movement, I can see why that has momentum. Why? Because someone is taking dignity, and that's hard to get back. Um, someone is taking innocence. How do you get childhood innocence back? And what do those, uh, you think of that Larry Nasser in the Olympics? And the fathers that are just like, that guy is an animal? Why is he saying that? Because they stole something that could never be given back. And they, they think of a person as a whole, but this person slowly has broken that person down to pieces, and you can't easily put it back together. The reason I bring these things up, and we could talk a long time about how um, so much assault has happened, so much abuse, and they say one out of three women, one out of five guys, and I, I can't even make eye contact with people because I know how many people have been hurt by someone else. The Apostle Paul is close to that angry. He says, you've got to watch out for that guy. He's an animal. And I kind of want you in that mindset when you think, here's what he's talking about. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Here's essentially what's happening, is Paul is afraid that these guys are going to take something that can't be replaced. And his fear is this. These men have come in and just said, Jesus is okay. But in order to find real salvation, in order to find real hope, you have to do something too. You have to do these Old Testament laws, or you have to be circumcised, or you have to eat just right. And so, this is leaning on these people and they're worried and they're more worried. And why is that such a concern? Because you and I think the same way. How much easier, have we said before, would salvation be if you knew that it's what Christ has done plus a little bit of on your own? Like, how much easier is that? It's just like your house. Like, think about how excited you are if you own your own house. You, you get a house and you're saving up for it and it's really nice. For example, my parents lent me money and I finally have paid that off as a 42-year-old man, thank you. <laughs> but I finally paid the money. They helped us with the down payment. But how good does it feel to know that I'm the one who's buying this house? What does it feel like if your parents just gave you this house? 
you're always indebted to them. I mean, that's not a good position to be in. It doesn't feel good to have someone give you stuff. And it do, it's nice a little bit, but at some level, you kind of want to stand on your own feet and you want to feel like you've earned it and you've done something for it. This is exactly what these people are doing. They're stepping into this uh, Philippian congregation and saying, guys, here's the deal. Jesus has done a whole lot. And he's awesome. But you also have to do this other stuff. And I think they loved it. They wanted to hear that there's other stuff that they could do. So Paul continues, which is really funny to me because he has this whole section in the beginning about being humble. And then he says, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, the things you do on this earth, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Some of these guys could have been converts. And he's saying like, as the law prescribes, I was circumcised on just the right day. The people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, why is that a big deal? Um, of the 12 tribes of Israel, we talk about the 12 tribes, there's a phrase that's said the lost 10 tribes. Have you ever heard that phrase? Is this familiar? So what happened is, and I, I don't want to bog down on this too much, but in the 700s, the Assyrians came down, and this, this is serious stuff. So the Assyrians came down, they wiped out 10 of the tribes of Israel, and they never, ever come back. So there's no tribe of like Asher right now. You can't go to Israel right now and go, oh, these are the lost people of Asher. Here are their relatives. They were totally obliterated, uh, intermarried, mixed, and they're gone. The only two that left, the only two that were left is where Jerusalem is, Judah, and Benjamin. And what he's basically saying is, um, you guys can all claim your Jewish heritage, but I guarantee it's mixed. It's kind of like Harry Potter and the Mudbloods, or what's it called, Muggle, Muggles? Muggles? They say mudbloods, and don't they say muggles? Oh, that's a human, not a wizard. What was I thinking of? How did I mix that up? So the, the, basically he's saying, hey, you guys think you're awesome. I'm not only from the people of Israel. I'm from one of the tribes that didn't get obliterated, so I'm still here. I'm one of the purebloods, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to law, a Pharisee as far as zeal. So um, a Hebrew of Hebrews, so not only did he follow the law flawlessly, a Pharisee is a layperson. That's not a pastor-type person. It would be you. And this would be a special group of people that is so concerned about the law that they added more laws to make sure they didn't break the laws in the middle. Does that make sense? Um, Baptists do this sometimes. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> there might be Baptists who listen to my... There are certain denominations that sometimes prohibit alcohol because they prohibit alcohol not because it's wrong, because it's impossible to get drunk if you don't drink alcohol. That, that's, that's medical. That's medical right there. So they, they add more laws onto it. He says, I'm one of those groups, the most zealous of zealous. And so far, zeal, I, what do you guys do? I was persecuting the church when I thought it was going to cause a problem to our Jewishnessness as righteousness based on the law, utterly flawless. However, whatever regains to me, I now consider a loss. For the sake of Christ, what is more, I consider everything a loss. None of that stuff matters because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. And this is hard. It's hard. One of the things that is hardest to loss is it, it, with loss is it's got to have some value to you. And it does, it's not a big deal to me if I'd lose like these shoes. These are my Time of Grace Memorial shoes. Everyone see my nice black shoes? How many times have I worn these to church? Today's the first day because it snowed out and I didn't want to wreck the shoes I like. So when I was part of Time of Grace and I was going to preach... I went to my first thing, and they film it on, on the, the service, and then they take me aside, and they're like, um, you really shouldn't have tan shoes. I'm like, what? What do you mean I can't have tan shoes? Like, this is a big deal? They're like, no, here's some money. Go buy some shoes. So I got my black shoes, and I never preached them again. So I've worn them exactly one time for them, 
and then one time today because I didn't want to wreck my good ones. So would I be sad if someone somehow secretly stole these shoes out of my closet? No, would I say like, oh, I suffered a loss. I lost my black memorial shoes. Actually, when, if some of you guys die, if you want black shoes, I'll break out the black shoes. And they'll be the double memorial shoes. So I would not be sad because it's not something valuable to me. If you lose something of value, you call it a loss. And what Paul is saying is a whole lot of us put our value in a whole lot of things. And when to find out what you've done, to find out your righteousness, to find out that you come to church even though it's a snowy day, to find out that doesn't count for your salvation, that's a loss because it might mean something to you. To find out that you're reading your Bible every day and God says that doesn't matter when it comes to your salvation, that could be a loss. And Paul is saying this. All those other things don't really matter. Instead, I consider them garbage. It's trash, like where those dogs eat, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. We want to be found. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him into death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. What is his point? His point is, all that's garbage because I've found something precious. And how does the Bible talk about that when it talks about the gospel? We have the parable of the lost pearl, right? And they, they sell everything they have so they could get it again. We have a parable of this lady who loses a coin and she searches over her whole house so that she can find it again because this is so valuable to her. How valuable is the gospel? There is nothing more precious in your whole entire life. And I think we requote that Jim Carrey or to paraphrase it. Remember when he said, you find all these things and he wishes everyone was as successful and rich as they ever dreamed so that they could see that it was not enough? That's that same thing that Paul was trying to say. Like, once he found Christ, he found like he was actually found. And he had a purpose and he had a point and he could live. And so he warns the people. Watch out for those dogs because they can take that from you. Warnings and apathy are kind of hard, um, I think. How many of you have ever given someone advice and they totally ignore it? I should say, how many of you are parents? Right? And then how many of you have been given advice and they've totally ignored it? And for some, as, as your, your children, you realize that we talk about it, getting them to turn a corner. You work and 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 you're so tired and you work and you work and you work and you work and you work, hoping that they turn a corner and they go, okay, I get it. Um, I was just at the gym with the other day, and there's a guy who's very competitive. He's really good, and we end up partnering up with stuff sometimes. And I said, hey, your, your rowing is not, I thought, I, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to just say, your rowing is not exactly right. You're losing power in your legs because you're doing this too early. So I row a lot. And he goes, well, that's how I always do it. I know, that's why I'm coming to talk to you. Like, this is so hard. Do you think I'm ever going to talk to that person ever again and, like, give them any kind of tip if I notice anything? Never, because he just basically said, I don't actually care what you think, even if it would be helpful to me. And the Apostle Paul, it, this is talking about something that's way more important. What would be something so important that you would warn that someone again and again and again, even if they're apathetic? How many of you have had someone in your family that's dating a dirtbag? Do you give up? Or do you say again and again, I'm not, I'm not saying you, Isabella, man. <laughs> Bella gets a boyfriend and she thinks I think he's a dirtbag. He passed game night. He's okay. He's all right. 
I was at the serious point in my sermon. You guys just wrecked it. <laughs> I think we're almost close to an amen. But the, uh, the, the point being, if, if it's serious enough, I think you'd worry. And you'd say it again, like this rowing, this guy's not going to affect him too much, and it gives me a better chance to beat him on workout, so I'm not going to tell him again, right? But I think it matters if someone's dating someone that's abusive to them, and you're saying, I don't think this is healthy, you've got to get out of it. And I don't think it's healthy when you see someone that just gives you the creeps, and you're like, this makes me really uncomfortable. I don't think you should be by that person. And I think I would say it again and again, even if they started to move closer to that person again and again, I'd say, I don't think this is good. I'm really concerned. This isn't good. It doesn't make me feel good um, if there's someone in my, our life where I say, I don't like how that guy looks at you to my spouse. Why would I say that? And I'd probably say it again and again. And she might say, hey, why do you keep coming back to this? Because I don't want that person to take something that I care about. And I don't want that person, as some creepy guy, to take something from my kids that breaks them apart and it's hard to put back together. I don't want that person to take a marriage from me. I don't want that person to take something that I love. And the Apostle Paul is saying to you, and as a pastor, we're saying to you, I don't want someone to take something that I care about, and that's you, and that's what Jesus says. What was Jesus willing to do to make sure that you could be in heaven with him? When you talk about loss, he didn't just give up physical things, like big deal, and I don't think it's the suffering, the physical things. I've said that before. That's not the biggest thing, but just on an emotional level, he takes away his dignity he takes away any pride he would have had, utterly humiliated, and to have these guys that he could zap in a second just punch him in the face? Like, what kind of person does it take to be able to walk on this earth to say, I'm going to give all that up? The part that doesn't easily mend, and then ultimately his life, so that you could be with him. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be broken into pieces. Ever. And so he warns us again and again, and again, never follow a gospel that says that's me plus something else. It's just me because I'm the one who is broken so that you could be put together. Amen. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's so many things in our life that pull us in many different directions. We pray that through your work in us, uh, when we're broken, we always come back to you and we can have appreciation not for the things that we hold pride to, but instead we have pride in the one who is broken for us. And we recognize what Jesus has done by coming to this earth and suffering humiliation and hardship and embarrassment all for us so that we didn't have to go through those same things. Instead, let's heed his warnings that he has for us that there is no other gospel other than Jesus. There is no other gospel other than his life and death for us. So help us stick to that and help us encourage each other and not get apathetic when we see people drifting off, but instead recognizing this is important as something that can be taken and never put back. And so help us have the courage to continue to people, to continue to give them the warnings and the encouragements to stay close to you. We ask this in your name. Amen.